It is good to be back. Sometimes I'm gone, you're gone, Brother uh, Lee and Sister Lee are gone, so now we can kind of all come back together for a while. But God is good. We are, I, I am blessed, I am thankful for a church that allows uh, my wife and I chance to uh, minister outside of the walls of this church. And we have seen some incredible things uh, in, in, in these, these last couple of weeks. We were in Mississippi at their kids' camp. And then from there, we went to Louisiana for a wedding and then ended up preaching there as well. And then last week, we were in uh, Arkansas. And I know because uh, we'll be going to our own Missouri kids' camp and preaching there in a couple weeks. But I'm going to tell you something. Uh, you see it at our church. You see our young people respond. You see them uh, coming to church, being a vital part. You see our children. And uh, But I would like to tell you that it seems no matter who I'm talking to, God is doing something incredible in the lives of children. They are responding not to Father Abraham songs, but they're responding to uh, the Word of God. And there are some deep moves that are happening, and I believe that it bodes well for uh, our future generations for them to get plugged in at a young age and for even at our own church we see the blessings of our children who grow up in this and they're strong they become strong young people and then our young people become strong adults and uh, I'm thankful that Sister Buford and I and our family have a small part in that and we're, we're thankful for that tonight I'm going um, to mix a few metaphors if you will uh, but when you read through the Bible you, you keep coming back to the same things. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to start in uh, the book of Isaiah chapter 1, and then we're going to go to Psalms chapter 1, and then from there, we're going to mix it all up. There, there are two metaphors that I, I want to kind of talk about tonight. We'll, we'll focus mainly on the first one, which is grafted. And I know that I have preached sermons and different things about grafted here at, the, at this church. And uh, so some of it may be uh, a little review, but I do want to take it a bit farther than perhaps I ever have. Uh, and then the second thing I want to discuss a little bit is being rooted, rooted and grounded. And while I know there's a difference between grafted and a difference between rooted, there's some common denominators that come out of it. And uh, the Lord impressed upon me personally as well as corporately. So let's look at the book of Isaiah uh, and let's, let's go to, uh, towards the end and let's look at Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 30. It says, For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, like a garden without water, and the strong shall become tender, his work a spark, and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. The key there that jumps out at me is you're going to be an oak who... Is uh, leaf withers, a garden without water. And if you begin to read the Word of God, especially if you'll read it and ask God to show you similarities, you would find a great similarity, howbeit opposite, in Psalms chapter 1. Let's look at Psalms chapter 1. Psalms chapter 1, it, it's kind of the same thing, but vastly different. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's important. He shall be like a tree 
planted by streams of water, who yields his fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither, and in all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Psalms chapter 1 and Isaiah chapter 1 are polar opposites. Psalms chapter 1 tells you what happens if you'll walk with God, if you'll be his, if you'll follow his commandments. Isaiah chapter 1 begins, along with all of Isaiah, begins to tell you what happens if you don't. And, and in doing that, I want to bring your attention. I know I'm kind of doing a lot of text, but I'd like to bring your attention to the book of, Ma, uh, of John chapter 15, and that's where we'll uh, spend most of our time, John chapter 15. The word grafted is an interesting word for most you and I. Grafting, we think of skin grafts and bone grafts and things in the medical field. And the principle is still the same. You take something, you connect it to something living, and then that which is connected begins to live itself. That's the process of grafting. You've heard me preach here uh, a time or two uh, that, that my dad knows the art of grafting. You've heard me talk about the tree that I broke playing softball or baseball in our backyard and knew I was going to get in trouble. And dad comes out with a pocket knife and he whittles away on it and he duct tapes them two back together. And and now some 25 years later or so, that, that, that tree is still alive and that branch is still there. It used to have remnants of duct tape. It's now grown a little big. But it's the art of grafting. And I have preached... That, that we, you and I, Gentiles, we were grafted in to the vine. That there, there seems to be a, a linear progression of the vine, if you will, that, that the original that should have been was, was the children of Israel. God said, you're my chosen people. You're who I, I've, I've chosen. I want you to walk with me, live for me, follow my commandments. And if you do, in reality, everything's going to be great. And of course, Israel doesn't. Israel looks at the prophets and doesn't do what the prophet says. It kills the prophets, ultimately kills Jesus who comes, the Messiah. And because of that, Jesus said, you know, I haven't given up on the Israelites. I've not given up on my chosen people, but I'm going to allow others to be grafted in. And so the wound of Calvary opens up a, a position for you and I to be connected to the true vine. And, and so now you and I have life because we are connected. That's what I've preached. That's, that's kind of the message that I've, I've gone from called the graft. But I was thinking a little bit more about what it truly means to be grafted. Not just the concept of God choosing you and I. Not the fact that we, he was wounded and, and bruised so that you and I could have life more abundantly. And all of that is true. But could we take it a bit further? What does it mean to be connected to him? So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of John chapter 15. Let me read it and then let's go back a little bit in it. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. And the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you 
abide in me. For I am the vine, and you are the branches, and whosoever abides in me, and I in him, he that, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown in the fire and burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But, this, but that by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And again, he follows that up by saying, you know, keep my commandments, and you'll abide in my love. Abide. You, you find this, I am the vine, and uh, you are the branches. The vine, if you will, refers to Jesus. It's the fact that out of Jesus precedes life. You you don't have life apart from him. You don't have life apart from what he gives. You, you, you don't get any of that. But this vine, if you'll be grafted in, another place, talking about the Gentiles, another place says we were a wild vine. Any of you have any uh, uh, wild grape vines on your property anywhere? Nobody? Some of you do. Uh, I've, I've, we've got wild grapevines at my dad's house, and they will produce grapes, but they are not like grapes you and I would recognize. I have eaten a few of them. They are the bitterest, sourest, nastiest thing you'll ever have, and they're tiny. They're about the size of a BB. They're not these great big old golf ball sized grapes that you buy at the store. There is a difference between a wild, undressed, and I don't mean that they're naked. I'm talking about dressing. That's what you talk about when you, you refer to a vineyard. It's part of, of how you cultivate the vineyard, how you, how you work in the vineyard. And wild vines that are able to do whatever they want, they will never produce the fruit. But if you are a cultivated vine... If you are a vine that someone has taken time to make sure everything is right and there's pruning that takes place. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, there, there's pruning that takes place and, and all of it. Then something good is produced. The greatest thing that you and I can ever do in our life is to be fruitful for Christ's sake. There's a lot of reasons, there's a lot of ways, there's a lot of things that we could judge someone's spirituality, if you will. We could judge their Christianity, if you will. But I will tell you that the greatest way you can judge one's Christianity is are they fruitful? And then you ask, what fruit? Well, you could go to uh, Galatians chapter 5 and you could read. We may get there before tonight is over. You can read about the works of the flesh. Which means if I see works of the flesh uh, uh, as the result of somebody's life, it tends to let me understand they're not operating in the spirit. They're being led by the flesh. They're being led by uh, the enemy. They're being led by, by their, their carnal desires. But if I look out and I see someone that is producing the works of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, then that tells me they have been cultivated. They are tapped into something. Perhaps I would start this way. Hey, the, the, I don't know how you and, and God communicate. I, I don't know if God wakes you up in the middle of the night. He doesn't do that for me. Either that or I sleep way too hard and I don't recognize it. I've had people tell me, man, I had this awesome dream. I woke up, wrote it down. Now I wrote a book. I wake up, I have no idea what happened that night. My wife will tell me the house burned down, the tree fell over in the yard, the kid was up screaming. I know nothing. When I go to sleep, it's, it's, I'm gone. 
I don't, I don't dream too much, or at least I don't remember them. So God doesn't speak to me like that. Uh, he has yet to write on the wall. I sometimes wish he would. It would be nice when I need him. Just, just write on the wall like you did for the king there in Daniel's time. Just, just write it on the wall, I'll have it. He doesn't do that. Instead, it's these small tidbits that he impresses in my mind, usually around the word, and he'll remind me. And today he reminded me of something that, that kind of began to, to uh, help me catalyze this message. And that is one of the greatest things that you get from the vine is life itself. Take a branch off a tree, cut a branch, throw it on the ground, it dies. It may not die right away. It may still have green leaves for a long time. It may even have some fruit still on it for a while. But much like Adam and Eve started dying the moment they were kicked out of the garden, when you were separated from the vine, when you're separated from Jesus, you begin to die. Without going into a, a, a lesson on horticulture, the, the fact that the trunk or the vine, if you will, most of you maybe, maybe we're not as familiar with grapevines. Let's think of a tree. You could say the same thing. Jesus could have said, I'm the trunk and you're the branches. The trunk is what you derive your nutrients. Those roots run deep into the ground. From the roots, they're bringing up moisture and water and, and the sap flows back and forth. I know there's things that happen in the leaves, but you draw your strength from the trunk. The Lord began to speak to me and he said, he said, Brandon, how many times do you rely on the trunk when you need something big, but you don't rely on the trunk on a day-to-day -day basis? I mean, I, I don't have to call anybody out. I know my congregation. I know my audience. Every one of us. We get into a life-altering situation. We get into one of those moments where we really need God, and suddenly we're fasting five days a week, and we need to hear from God because I need something from him. And then he asks, well, what do you do the rest of that time? I'm, I'm struck. It, this is where it hit. It's, it's, it's the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. It's praying through the tabernacle that we've done so many times and you see that table of showbread and that table of showbread was not there just for looks. It was not there just to represent life but instead it literally became what the priests would eat daily. They didn't eat, they would have wasted away. How many times do we let that daily life-giving nutrient that, that we get from being in relationship with God. How many days do we go by and we don't take advantage of what we ought to be connected to? Those men, men, y'all who were here uh, in, in the, the men's uh, breakout session a month or so ago, I showed you Brother Jerry Dean's article in there, and I was reminded, I, I looked at it again today, at where, where Brother Dean said he, he got, and he was a pastor, grown man, got a mentor, and they begin to say in, and the mentor begin to ask him those hard questions. Pastor Dean, how many hours a day do you pray? How many times do you read your Bible? Uh, do you have weekly staff meetings at your church? You know, these hard questions. And Brother Dean, in his article, began to say, I didn't really want to answer them because I couldn't. I didn't have a good answer. But he begins on to say that, that it's that 
daily prayer, that daily Bible reading. Some of you probably are better than I am at it, which is why God reminded me it's daily. Not just daily reading his word. I'm kind of good at that, but sometimes you need to daily pray, not because you need something, but because it's part of that relationship you have with Jesus. Connected daily. That branch, it's amazing, the branch is so weak. And uh, again, I, I don't know if you've ever really been to a true vineyard. But it's not these spindly little branches that you find on the vines out in the woods. But you go to a vineyard and the vine might be that thick around. There's vineyards, especially when you start getting over there in the Middle East. You start getting over there in Italy. There are vineyards there in which the vine, the roots, the stock is hundreds of years old, possibly thousands of years old, depending on which where you, where you go. And they've cultivated. And the branches that grow out of that are, are not just simple spindly branches, but they've got some backbone to them. They can hold the weight of those great clusters of grapes because... They're connected to the vine. A branch is really only good for two things. You either bear fruit or you burn. Now that sounds harsh, but that's the reality and that's what Jesus said. You either bear fruit or you burn. Well, if you don't bear fruit, they they come, they cut you off, they prune you off, or maybe you decided you don't want to be connected to the vine anymore and so you disconnect, you fall down. You're good to, to, to create a little bit of a fire, maybe give somebody warmth. It's good. The branch, though, on its own, you and I are incapable of producing fruit by ourselves. There is nothing in us, there's nothing amongst us that allows us to do it. The only way that you and I are fruitful, the only way that you and I can produce anything is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to know why young people can go to a camp or young people can go to a, and I'm not, I'm, y'all do a great job, so this is not a slam on y'all. But you want to know how uh, you can go to a, a youth camp or you can go to a youth congress or a youth convention. Ladies, you can go to ladies uh, 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 conference and or men, we go to men's conference. You want to know why we do pretty good after that? Because for a period of a couple days or a week, you had a daily relationship with Jesus. Then we let a, a week or so go by and we forget that and you see it's hard to produce the fruit of the Spirit if you don't have a communion with Him. Read the Bible, I challenge you, just read the Bible and look at all the different ways that Jesus spoke of the relationship between God and man. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. That symbolizes connectiveness. It symbolizes growth. He says it's the bride and the bridegroom, the shepherd and the sheep. And, and in any one of those, if you are separated from the other, you're not going to make it. If the sheep separates from the, the shepherd, his chances of being picked off by a lion or a, a, a bear become much larger. Let, a, let a, a, a marriage one separate from the other. You find that, that it's there. And marriage, let me, let, let's walk a little bit further. Marriage may create the union, okay? 
You, you can be grafted into the vine. And, and by the way, that grafting is done at salvation. When you've repented of your sins, when you've been baptized in Jesus' name, when you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, you were grafted in. That's a, that, it's not a one-time thing because for some of us, we repented one day, got the Holy Ghost another day, got baptized another day. But that one moment, that's a grafting. When you looked at your spouse at the aisle and you said, I do, that was the union. But it takes, especially in a marriage, it takes daily love. It takes daily devotion. It takes daily communication for that union to grow. For the, bride, or for the vine and the, and, the, and the branch, it takes daily connection. It takes daily uh, uh, communion. It takes daily relationship for something to happen. And you and I need to understand we're the branch and we need the, the trunk. In the, in the word of God, especially here in, in, in John chapter 5, 11 times it uses the word abide. Uh, it, it's also translated in that same chapter as continue in, in verse 9. It's translated as remain in verse 11. What does abide mean? Abide does not mean living with somebody. That, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that you're just, you're just living with it. It means that you are in fellowship and his life works in you, his life works through you. Did you catch the vernacular? Did you catch how it said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. There is a life that's, that, that, that's moving. It's a, uh, if we're talking about trees, it's the sap that moves up and down and through and all, uh, all of that. You've got to abide in Christ. And there's no goosebump feeling to tell you you're abiding. You don't feel that you're abiding. You can't say, well, man, I got goosebumps in church. I must be abiding. Uh, or, or, you know, I felt good. I must be abiding. That's not what it is. Here's the one thing. There are certain uh, evidences, if you will, that are unmistakably clear. And one thing is, if you are abiding in Christ, if you have that relationship with him, that daily relationship with him, and he with you, the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to produce fruit. So if you live your life, and, and we preached about this a little bit ago, I said don't get hooked on a feeling. Y'all remember that? If you live your life feeling like you are living right, that's a wrong way to examine your life. Don't say I feel like I'm living right. Look around. I know I'm living right because here's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness. So you, you're going to have that and then... Uh, another thing you want to you know if you're abiding in Christ, and this is where we're going to spend a little bit of time, you want to know if you're abiding in Christ? Is he pruning you? We don't like to talk about pruning. The modern church tries to stay away from this. Modern church says, let's not talk about anything that anybody's doing wrong. Let's just say we're all happy-dory Hunky, lit, loving God, living for God. Everything's great. Don't worry. I got those two words mixed up. I know. Hunky dory is what it should have been, not dory hunky, but whatever. <sighs> Some of y'all start laughing when I just want to keep going and act like nobody heard, and y'all got to make a big deal about it. Look at each other. Talk about it. Look what Pastor said. 
<sighs> you didn't say anything, but I could read it. You looked at my dad, and my dad looked at you. And <laughs> like y'all, I'm going to let y'all preach next time. Just every one of you going to have a church service. Y'all got to all preach. That way you can get up here and feel what I feel. <laughs> you ready, Sister Buford? It's all Dory Hunky. I like it. Nobody wants to talk about the pruning process. Nobody wants to talk about the chastening process. Read Hebrews. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that those he loves, he also chastens. There's another thing that you'll find. Here's how you know that you're abiding. Here's how it knows that you are in a daily fellowship and relation is uh, John chapter 15 verse 7. If you abide in Christ, your prayers are answered. Now I know there's a, I could go on a whole uh, a Bible study about prayers and the answer of prayers. Sometimes our prayers are not answered because we don't ask right. If you're praying, God, let me win the lottery, chances are your prayers are not going to get answered. Okay? That has nothing to do with the relationship. That's nothing to do with You're asking the wrong thing. Okay? Uh, other times, your prayer has been answered, but it wasn't answered the way you thought, and so you haven't recognized that it was answered. Okay, that's another reason. But, but in reality, most of the time, the reason our prayers aren't answered is probably because we're asking God to do something instead of being in a relationship with Him. In fact, I could go out and, on a limb and say that if you're in a relationship with Him, sometimes you won't need those prayers answered because you didn't get yourself in that stupid situation to begin with. And so it is that you get that. Uh, another one, uh, John 15, 9, verse 12, verse 13. Another way that you know you are in, you're abiding in Christ, that relationship is there's a, a deepening love for Christ. It's, it, it's something that gets deeper. It's a love for the other believers. Another one says in verse 11 that you will experience joy. But this abiding in Christ, other than that first grafting uh, experience of salvation. It's a ongoing relationship. It's, a, it's an abiding relationship. And to keep on the terms of horticulture, it's a cultivating relationship. I did not inherit my dad's green thumb. I tried. But you see, my dad, he wakes up on Saturday morning and he says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to weed the garden today. And he loves it. If you've ever been around my dad, you know he likes to weed. If we had a, a, an outdoor service today, at the end he'd be weeding the flower beds out there because he likes that. I wake up on Saturday mornings and say, hey, there's weeds in the garden. I'm going fishing. So every year... I have grand dreams of growing tomatoes and peppers and all of that. My dad will get 400,000 billion tomatoes out of one plant. I get three. But here's why. Are you ready? I, I've, I don't have the area that he has. He has so I, I've learned I've, I've got big pots. You can grow tomatoes in pots, and you can do a great job. So we put them around the patio, and we do that. But here's what happens. I start off good in the spring. Kids are in school. 
I get up, we water, it, it rains from the sky, it waters them there, I don't have to water, the sun is shining, everything is good. And then summer hits and we start traveling. And it stops raining in the summer, thank you very much. Especially last year when it never rained at all. And so then what happens is I come back after a couple days and my tomato plant that once was this tall and beautiful is now like this. And so it hasn't dead. It's not dead yet, okay? I say, oh, I got to water it. So I drown it with water. And what's cool is you can come back in about 30 minutes and that tomato plant will grow. But here's the thing. That drastic cycle of drought, water, drought, water may keep the plant alive, but it's not conducive for fruit. And in our lives, far too many times in our relationship with God, we drought, water, drought, water. You come to church and you are withered and you are droopy and you, you have no, no water. You come to church, God moves, you pray a little bit around the altar, God's living water fills you up, you, you, you stand up, you perk up and you walk out and then three or four days later you come back to church and you're droopy because nothing happens in your life between Sunday and Wednesday. And while Sunday and Wednesday church may keep you alive, it's not conducive for fruit. And so this year, I'm trying to be a little bit better. Thank you for the Lord for letting it rain copious amounts even into late June. But so far, so good. And I got lots of little tomatoes on there, so hopefully I will get more than three tomatoes from my, my crop. But sometimes they need watering before they look like they need watering. And we would be good in our life, in our relationship with God, to delve into God's word, to pray, to, to have that relationship before you look like you need to pray or have that relationship. Does that make sense? And so it is. Then the so so that's the that's the abide that's the, the that, that's the branch and the and, and the relationship between the branch and the vine or the branch and the uh, 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 trunk, but then you have this this vine dresser character, the one that cultivates, the one that works, and we've preached. And one of the things that that I, I love in the Bible is that intercession of the keeper, where the man had a a vineyard. And, and, and while he was there, he, he came to check out the vineyard, and there was a, a, a tree that wasn't producing. And he said, ah, just cut it down. I'm sick of it. Just cut it down. And the keeper of the vineyard said, no, I think it will produce. It just needs a little bit more help. Let me dig around it. Let me put some, some compost around it. Let me really water it. Let me prune it and see if it doesn't produce. Give me a moment. There's this understanding that there is a vineyard, and God loves his vineyard, you and I. And God has designed it that he wants you and I to be fruitful. 
There is no, there's nothing about God's nature or God's way or God's love. God never desires for anybody to fail. God never desires for anybody to go to hell. God never desires that anybody should mess up. In fact, the Bible tells us the exact opposite. He's patient, not will, uh, you know, long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. He wants you to succeed, and so in doing so, he will do whatever it takes to make sure your branch produces fruit. And so if you look at the progression in John chapter 15, it starts by saying no fruit, and then fruit, and then much fruit, or more fruit, and then much fruit. Because God's way is always a way of growth. Look at your neighbor and say growth. If you're not growing, you're not following God. If you've been in church for 20 years and you're not, you haven't grown any, something's going on. There should always be a growth. And so this is the one that really, it, 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 it got me today I, when, when I began to look at and research. There are two things that the the, the guard, the keeper of the garden, there are two ways that he prunes, okay? The first way is to cut away the dead wood because that dead wood breeds insects. It breeds disease. It, 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 it does that. So a, 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 a true uh, uh, master gardener understands that, you know, if I got a dead branch in the tree, it's not just that it looks bad. But it, it produces insects, it produces rot, and, and then if it, if it kind of starts to eat away and now there's holes in it, now water gets in there. And, and so a, a good gardener will cut away the dead. When you look at our life, that makes perfect sense. That God would look into us and he would cut away the things of our life that are dead. Think sinful. That's what salvation is all about. That's what it is. He, he comes in and he says, uh, as, as Paul said, I look at my life, I look at my flesh, and in my flesh there is no good thing. And so God comes in and he, he whittles away and he scrapes and he changes the whole look of your life. Yeah, you might have had five branches, but three of them were dead, so he cuts them out. But the two that are there are going to grow. And so a lot of us, when we look at, at, at pruning, we tend to be okay with God taking away the dead. We tend to be okay with God removing the sinful. We tend to be okay with God acting on our behalf when it comes to the dead wood of our life. But a true pruner, those who have been trained, they know where to cut and how much to cut. They even know the angle at which to cut. But the second part is the part that you and I might be a little bit more uncomfortable. It's when they cut away the living branches. So, again, I know most of us don't operate in vineyards. Most of us don't operate when it comes to even fruit trees. So maybe this will make sense. Growing up, go back to dad, growing up we had tomatoes. We've always had tomatoes. I love tomatoes. I'd mow the garden, not mow the garden, that's bad. Don't ever mow the garden. That's a very bad thing. I would mow the yard. We had a big yard, a little over half acre. And I would mow the yard. 
and I would make a big pass, and it always took me by the garden. I'd get off, I'd pick me a handful of those little cherry tomatoes, and I'd eat them while I mowed the garden. Can't mow the garden. Mow the grass. I'd come back to the garden. I'd get a few more handfuls. But, but Dad always taught us, and, and any of you that have, have tomato plants, you'll, you'll notice that when a tomato plant, you kind of have a, a stalk or a trunk. I mean, sometimes it's mold, but you have you know, your big, thicker part. Then branches grow off, and these little branches will grow in between, and we always call them sucker branches, sucker and, and dad would pick those suckers out because most of the time those sucker uh, uh, branches, they don't produce a lot of fruit. When you go to a, 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 a tree, a, a fruit tree, there, there'll, be, there'll be branches that will grow, but they don't really produce fruit. But what happens is that living branch requires nourishment. It requires nutrients. It requires stuff to grow. And so if you allow everything to just grow where it wants, you may have one branch that's really producing fruit and three other branches that are not producing anything, but they're sucking the life away that could be going to that one branch that's producing. And so it is that sometimes the keeper of the garden cuts away the living branches so that the life of the vine would not be dissipated and the quality of the crop jeopardized. You know those, you know those gigantic pumpkins that people grow around around Halloween and stuff. You know sometimes they'll be hundreds of pounds, maybe even thousands of pounds. Did you know the only way to accomplish that? And I'm not necessarily suggesting this has a biblical precedent, but the only way you can get a gigantic pumpkin is to make sure there's no other pumpkins on that vine growing. Because they want all of the nutrients and nourishment to go to that one pumpkin. So here's where it comes to you and I. The pruning process is the most important part to be fruitful. I want you to listen to me very carefully. The worst punishment that you and I could ever endure is for God to give up on us and say, I'm not going to ever prune you again. For God to just, that's what it really means when God says, I've turned you over to a reprobate mind. It means God says, do whatever you want to do. I'm quit. When God says, I'm not going to help you anymore. I'm not going to chasten you. I'm not going to even let your conscience speak to you. Just do whatever you want to do, and I'll sit back and watch your life be ruined. That's the worst punishment you and I could ever endure. For God to leave us alone. But if God loves us, then God prunes us. And God is encouraging more fruit for his glory. In fact, I would say that if you could go out to a, 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 an apple tree that in a garden, and some of us, we've, we've had a few little trips to Eckerd's or wherever it is. you know, If you could go talk to those trees and you find that branch that's just absolutely drooping under the weight of, of its fruit, it would tell you, I'm thankful for the one who prunes. It hurts a little bit, but look at the fruit that comes. In fact, I would tell you today that perhaps you should think of it this way. You're never more closer to God than you are when he prunes. You're never more closer to God than when he cuts away the dead wood that causes you trouble. And often when he cuts away the living that's robbing you of spiritual Vitality. It goes back to Paul saying, I lay aside every sin. 
That's the dead wood. And I lay, a while, lay aside every weight that doth so easily beset me. Sometimes God steps in and he says, Brandon, i got to take away a few things so that your life can be focused on producing fruit. He prunes us most simply through his word that convicts and his word that cleanses. Uh, or another time in John chapter 13, the word purge is the same as the word clean. He chastens us. It, the word, I'm going to tell you right now, if you are only getting your conscience uh, strengthened by, by preaching on Sundays and Wednesdays, you're missing out on a vital thing. I want to preach the truth. I, I hold the weight of preaching behind this pulpit. It's the greatest weight that I carry to realize that I've got to preach to a uh, 100 plus people uh, every week and, and multiple times a week and make sure I preach the word of God to them and, and, and speak the word of God to them. But if you're not getting the word for yourself on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Thursday and a Friday and a Saturday and even Wednesdays and Sundays, you're missing out on what God wants to do. He's convicting you through his word and he's cleansing you through his word. That tree might would say, hey, don't take that branch away. I like that branch. It's still a good looking branch. Sometimes God prunes things that we might think we love or we might think is precious, but when you look later in life, and, and many times we see this as we grow as we mature but also spiritually mature, we look back and we say, I'm so glad God removed that. Because look where I'm at now. Look at the fruit that I'm producing. And here's the thing. Are you ready? The more that you abide in Christ and Christ in you, the more fruit that you bear. And the more fruit that you bear, God has to prune you more so that the quality or the quantity keeps up with the quality. You ever notice that them crab apple trees produce more fruit than about any other tree in the world? Those crab apples that nobody eats and nobody wants and the birds eat them and then they, they bomb your car with everything of that and, and, and nobody wants them but they sure do love to produce fruit. The goal is not how much fruit you produce. The goal is the quality of the fruit that you produce. But there is a, a correlation between the quality and the quantity and the pruning. A tree or a vine that has been pruned properly will not only produce better fruit, but it will produce more of that better fruit than one that was left to its own devices. And so it is that God says, if you'll abide in me and I in you, if you'll be connected, let that relationship flow. I'm in Christ. He's in me. It's a two-way street. That, that, that life, I'm those, I told you I was going to talk a little bit about rooted. Those roots that are deep into that living water. Read Psalms 1. I want to be that. I want my roots deep. I want to drink from that living water, but I can't have drought and then the water and then drought and then the water. It's a daily relationship that comes. And if you will abide in him and he in you and daily get what you need and daily commune and daily have that relationship, if you allow him to convict, if you allow that conscience to speak, if you allow him to prune, then I will tell you he's glorified. 
by a better crop and a bigger crop of the fruits of the Spirit. And so it is that we get to the fruit. It's interesting that the fruit is not for you. The branches don't eat their fruit. I know that's new stuff for y'all, but that's the things I think about. Nowhere does the branch look at itself and go, hmm, that's a good apple, I think I'm going to eat that apple. No. The fruit is for others. So it is that the fruit of the Spirit, Go. I'm not going to take time to go there. Go look at, at Galatians chapter 5, you know, love, joy, peace, all of that. There's a lot of those things that can be counterfeited by the flesh, which is why in that same chapter he talks about the works of the Spirit and he mirrors that or or shows the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit. Works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. Make sure I say that right. Here's one of the things that, that really sets apart good fruit from counterfeit fruit. And that is that the fruit that you produce, if it's right, if it's of God, it has seeds inside that when spread, produce more fruit. There's some things that, there's a few seedless grapes and stuff like that, but you're not going to ever get anything out of that. I mean, it may taste good for a season. It may, it may be okay for a while, but you're never going to have any growth out of that. And if you really would like to, to take a Bible study, go look at the works of the flesh and understand that those works of the flesh are things that, that if you will, they don't have seeds that produce fruit. It's a one-time, as the Bible says, it, it, sin, it might be good for a season but after that it's destruction but a true branch united with the vine always bears fruit it may not be a bumper crop every time but you're going to bear fruit and Jesus was teaching this Jesus was teaching that in order to be fruitful You've got to be in relationship with the vine. And if you're unfruitful, it means you're not in relationship with the vine. So it is that I bring you today, and I I just remind you, and again, I know I mix metaphors a time or two, but the point is this. I want to produce fruit. But I can only do that if I have a daily relationship And if I I allow him to prune, not just the dead, sometimes the living. Because he knows that if he'll remove that from my life, I can produce more.